this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and I have Zhao Han from Meter with me today. Zhao Han has an extensive background ranging from Microsoft, Sony, Motorola, and a few other places along the way. We talked about how he got into this world of crypto, and we talked about what Meter is. So their mission statement is reinventing money for DeFi, permissionless, low volatility, fast, no oracles, enable Bitcoin to achieve its original vision. A lot to unpack there. And so we talked a lot about this, enabling Bitcoin to achieve its original vision. I wanted to know more about that. We talked a lot about stablecoins, and we talked how they are working to eliminate regulatory and counterparty risk in fiat-backed stablecoins, so a specific mentioning to Tether, and eliminate capacity limitations and oracle risk in crypto-backed stablecoins, so that was in reference to DAI. And then they also make reference to Basis and a few other different iterations around stablecoins. So this is a great conversation. Uh, Xiao Han is really, really knowledgeable. And with his background, I thought it was incredibly interesting that he's been pivoting into this space now. So this is a great conversation. Uh, you'll learn a lot about stablecoins and about what they're doing at Meter. So remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation with Xiao Han. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Zhao Han, the CEO of Meter.io, with us today. Zhao Han, how are you today? Fine. How are you, David? Great. So Zhao Han has an extensive background ranging from Microsoft, Sony, Motorola, and other stops along the way. And so what we would love to hear is instead of the when Bitcoin, you know, we don't necessarily love to hear about 2011 or 2013 or whenever you found the Bitcoin white paper or whatever that may be. We want to necessarily focus in on what about it? What about the underlying technology from your extensive career in technology made you decide to really go full, you know, kind of full force into this space and build a company around it? Sure. So I'm actually an engineer with a finance background. Um, my earlier career, like pure engineering, uh, in 2008, I actually went to uh, work in San Francisco to get my MBA in finance. After that, I actually uh, moved to private equity. And then actually, I raised the VC fund uh, in 2016. One of the investment focus at that time was uh, fintech and blockchain. That's how I get into the space. And obviously, in 2017, a lot of our portfolios started to basically issue tokens, and we started investing tokens as well. So during this process, I've been just like looking at, because with my finance training, I've been just looking at how do we value these things, right? I mean, what kind of valuation can we build to represent what's going on here? So, and then I realized, I mean, um, if you look at uh, how fiat currencies are created, fiat currencies are created uh, by countries, right? What are countries? Mm-hmm. Countries are geographical, uh, geographical boundaries dividing people up, oceans and mountains. And now we're spending most of our conscious time in front of uh, computers and smart devices. Essentially, we live in a virtualized world. 
in a virtualized world without uh, physical limitations, people will naturally regroup into new communities. Essentially, a new virtualized country will be formed, mm. basically based on people's beliefs or interests, things like that. And we believe like cryptocurrency are basically the starting point of building financial um, relationship, social economic structure within these uh, virtualized uh, tribes. So if we look at it in the long run, I mean, we believe the notion of countries will be more and more um, irrelevant. So that's where we believe uh, things will be moving to in the long run. But mm -hmm. uh, if we look at uh, a decentralized financial system, basically how to facilitate the uh, the financial relationship, the social economic structure within such society, we need to have a decentralized financial system. So that's where I started thinking, hmm, instead of like managing someone else's money, like uh, as a VC uh, manager, fund manager, uh, why would I just basically focus on building something that can change the future? That can that only happens every couple hundred years, so that's how we got into this uh, this project. I'm curious. A lot of people who have taken a look at DeFi, and we'll talk more about DeFi. It's not the first time we've talked about DeFi in the show, but a lot of people will talk about systemic risk. They talk about what happened on a global front in 2008 and 2009 with the financial crisis here in the states, and how it had a systemic flow out to other countries who obviously owned a lot of our debt and it has caused a cascading effect. And so a lot of people talk about DeFi in a sense that it could potentially be a, a fixture or a, what I guess you can call almost a, uh, a way to fix issues that were made very relevant in 2008 and 2009 by the transparency imposed within blockchains. So I'm curious, is that also part of the story here? Um, basically, we actually starting thinking about the uh, decentralized financial system from the base layer, <laughs> just like uh, the name of your podcast. So basically, in order to build any financial system, the most fundamental layer is actually the currency, the unit of account for the system. That's where you measure all the values. Mm -hmm. But uh, when we look at cryptocurrency, I mean, there's really no uh, native unit of account for crypto. I mean... There are some people, for example, building stable coins based on fiat, but uh, it's very hard to imagine. Like in a decentralized society, you rely on a centralized uh, unit uh, for measuring values, and that right. unit is highly manipulable by the um, by the authority. Right. So that's where we believe. I mean, there is actually ways to build like a unit of account native to the crypto world and can be like trustless. And, and cheatable, so that's where uh, we started the project. And one, I mean, basically, that's the goal of the project, essentially. Got it. So your mission statement says reinventing money for DeFi, permissionless, low volatility, fast, no oracles, enable Bitcoin to achieve its original vision. So I want you to unpack that a little bit. In terms of the fast and in terms of the no, no oracles, but more importantly, Bitcoin to achieve its original vision. So is Bitcoin not realizing its original vision right now? 
Yeah, so Bitcoin, when it was invented, the uh, narrative was, I mean, or still, I mean, a lot of uh, the hardcore Bitcoin maximalists are still basically insisting on the narrative of Bitcoin is the good money for the future, right? But uh, I mean, if you look at uh, the actual function of money, um, it actually um, basically bridge the difference in time and uh, need between value creation and value consumption. So, for example, when I work with for my company, I created value, but this value may not be directly applicable for me to get food or shelter. So I have to record these value I created and exchange it uh, with uh, someone else. So money functions as a basically uh, a like distributed uh, ledger to basically record uh, such value transfers and represent value temporarily. Um, if you look at, uh, like, for example, cryptocurrencies, they are basically a public ledger maintained by uh, distributed uh, uh, participants. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you look at the entries on those ledger, because, uh, for example, there has to be, uh, every number has to be a, a unit. If we use Bitcoin as a unit, essentially it's uh, like a rubber band. It stretches or contracts based on supply and demand. So when you look at a ledger made of Bitcoin to represent value transfers, it's essentially completely mass. It doesn't, you can't understand any like real value, uh, how much value has been transferred. So that's the main problem of uh, Bitcoin because it has uh, like a rigid supply and doesn't basically changes based on the underlying economic change. Interesting. Because everyone, everyone talks about the 21 million hard cap as not everyone. You know, predominantly the Bitcoiners out there use the 21 million hard cap as one of the, you know, dare I say, the most sellable feature. Because um, it's this inflation hedge and, you know, there's only going to be 21 million of them. Interesting. So you're kind of on the contrary of that. Yeah, so basically... When we look at it, basically one of the famous quotes from uh, John Nash, the uh, like inventor from game theory, basically he has a very famous quote on ideal money. Basically from his perspective, money should be just like a unit of measurement, just like a degree of temperature uh, or like a, a kilogram or a pound type of thing. But why is it so difficult to create and maintain such a unit for value? It's because the incentive for cheating is just too high. No one in the history ever can ever resist that temptation to cheat on that unit. But blockchain is actually a perfect solution to basically solve that trust issue. So that's what we leverage on to build the uncheatable unit of value. Right. So another thing that you talk about is you discuss scaling. You talk about fast. There's that word. There's that word fast in your in your mission statement. So let's dig into scaling. And so you're, you're stating that about you can get to about a thousand TPS at launch. Um, let's talk about that because in regards to Bitcoin, that's still three TPS and in regards to Ethereum, that's usually around seven to eight, give or take on the TPS. You've had other iterations that are using things like DAGs that are using things at layer two on state channels. Um, how are you getting to a thousand TPS? Yeah, so basically, um, if you look at all the existing cryptocurrencies, people are mixing currency creation with record keeping. Uh, but if you think about the real world, miners for gold and silver were never the same group of uh, 
bankers and accountants. When you're mixing things up, there will be unnecessary conflict of interest. And fundamentally, there are actually two consensus going on in the cryptocurrency system. The first consensus is actually the value transfer consensus, how much value Alice has transferred to Bob. So the main focus of that uh, consensus is to prevent double spending. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that consensus is directly observable to all the participants in the system. And to reach that consensus is not, shouldn't be that energy consuming. You just need to propagate the information thoroughly. There's another consensus going on in the system, however, is the economic consensus. That's how much new value has been added to the system and what are the newly created coin worth. So that consensus is achieved in a proof of work system by basically miners, profit chasing behavior. In the proof of stake system, basically people are giving up on this consensus and just focus on the first consensus. So what, what Meter does is basically we clearly separate out the two consensus. Though the currency are created by proof of work, basically by doing uncheatable computing. Uh, right now, for example, we're using the Bitcoin's uh, mining algorithm and you have to burn around a 10 kilowatt hour of electricity in order to create uh, one meter coin as a currency coin. Um, basically, that actually creates a Nash equilibrium for the like value of the uh, coin. So miners will only mine it when it economically makes sense. On the record keeping side, basically we're leveraging on proof of stake. Uh, so we can basically run fast uh, consensus among like, let's say a couple hundred uh, uh, committees selected randomly from the potential uh, validators in the system. So we can run like a Byzantine fault tolerant type of uh, consensus, mm-hmm. which can be uh, run pretty fast and uh, efficiently. So that's how we achieved uh, around uh, 1,000 TPS right now in our testnet. Uh, actually, at the launch, we're targeting around uh, 2,000 uh, when we launched the mainnet. Our testnet is already like uh, open uh, to the public. Basically, you can test it out, and also you can even mine on, on the testnet hmm. uh, to generate the currency token. So let me ask you, so... You are running. There, there are two different. It's like a hybrid, if I'm not mistaken. There's yeah, it's a it's a hybrid proof of work and proof of stake system. Right. So in in the proof of stake systems, there's usually a hierarchy. There's usually some sort of an oracle, some sort of a overarching entity or person or persons that works with all the validators. There's you. It's usually a name like you know you know. A supreme being, if you will, or someone out there that is usually kind of overseeing the the staking out there. So you mentioned in your you know, in the mission statement that there are no oracles. So how does that work in a proof of stake? So basically, oracles they are actually mainly related to other DeFi type of uh, like applications out there. Basically, one of the thing one of the limitation for blockchain is uh, uh, the typically a blockchain cannot obtain information from the external world. For example, if you want to get the price quote of uh, uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum to the decentralized app, the, you have to rely on some third party to put in that data into the system. So that third party is typically ca- called uh, oracles. So basically, I believe uh, majority of the uh, DeFi type of application we have seen today, including like MakerDAO, uh, Compound, they are all relying on information feed from external world through these uh, oracles. 
And these oracles can be uh, central point of failures. So just think about the, any software system, actually, you cannot guarantee 100% uh, reliability. Even like Amazon AWS, they can only, with like 24-7, like people monitoring it, they can only guarantee maybe like three nights. That means every uh, year, there's a couple of hours, the system may goes down. So in a public chain, if things goes down, it's actually just preventing people from making transactions, not the end of the day. But if the Oracle actually feeds wrong data into the system, that could be like catastrophic. Not meaning like some of the uh, uh, collateral position may be like forced to be liquidated, things like that. So that could cause the collapse of the entire financial system. I think these are like good for like enterprise software level type of uh, security mm -hmm. and applications, but not for a store value uh, system that uh, basically powers the entire uh, decentralized financial system. That's right. why like, uh, we do not rely on oracles to provide data feed into the system. So in proof of stake, it seems that the soup du jour, the condiment that everyone likes to add on to the sandwich of proof of stake is sharding these days. Are you guys using sharding? Um, at the launch, we're not planning to use sharding, but uh, basically um, the system is compatible with sharding and sidechains. So once we have a like a successful launch and uh, enough uh, tractions in the system, we can easily scale it up to so adding sharding and sidechain into the system. And so another question, there's been this issue with, I don't want to call it an issue, but Ethereum was using Solidity and there have been other programs, there have been other protocols out there that have used lesser known programs and it has caused a lack of attention or a lack of developers and engineers really working on the project because it's a new language they need to learn. So what language are you guys using there for the developers? So basically on our testnet, uh, we're just using the Ethereum uh, EVM, the Solidity language, uh, because it's mostly widely used for like all the DeFi applications. Um, yeah, so that's the plan for now. I think right now it's basically we're open to other like uh, type of languages. For example, uh, like recently Facebook announced like Move, right? And mm -hmm. basically different languages that can be more formally verified to be correct. Uh, we're open to that, but on the testnet, uh, because of the resource limitation, we're just focusing on bring up uh, the Ethereum Solidity virtual machine. I'm curious if there's any, there's been kind of narratives out there that the EVM has a privacy lack, um, that there is more data that needs to go into the EVM, that, you know, then you have, you know, you have privacy layers on Ethereum now, like we had Matt from Keep, and we've had some others out there that are adding these privacy layers to Ethereum because there's been this problem. What do you think about that? So the way we envision this is, uh, like, in the future, um, we the, the chain we build is a base layer chain, for example, for like settlement. And there will be like a top layer, like second layer chains built for, for example, focus on more like on scaling or like on privacy. So basically the benefit of EVM is uh, is extremely flexible. So basically all these uh, like things can be built on top of the uh, uh, base layer uh, blockchain protocol. Got it. So let's, let's 
So, so let, we don't want to solve all the issues uh, at the uh, at the base layer. Right. And thank you for the pitch again on that. I appreciate it. Um, love hearing people talk about base layer. <laughs> so let's go into kind of point counterpoint. There's a few things here that you guys discuss on the on the project, and I want to you know learn a little bit more. So eliminate regulatory and counterparty risk in fiat-backed stable coins. So is this a reference into Tether? Uh, yeah, and also, for example, um, others like fiat-backed stable coins like uh, GUSD, uh, TUSD, uh, those kind of things. Basically, like uh, if you look at, uh, basically, we can call these uh, existing stable coins uh, or like they are packed coins. They essentially try to pack to one of the uh, fiat currencies, let's say U.S. dollar. So if you look at the problem, we actually have two worlds, the physical world and the crypto world. And the physical world basically export uh, like computing energy to the physical world, I mean, to the crypto world. And the crypto world export uh, financial products, essentially cryptocurrencies, to the physical world. And basically the economic works between the two worlds follow the same principle as international finance. Basically, there's a famous uh, saying called the impossible trinity. Essentially, fixed exchange rate, uh, free flow of capital, and independent monetary policy. These three things cannot coexist at the same time. So in order to create a packed currency, there's only two ways. There's a Chinese way. Basically, you do not allow free flow of capital, which we don't like. Or there's the Hong Kong way. Basically, you have 100% reserve in the currency you pack to in a single pool. Distributed pool doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Then you can create a pack. So basically, like uh, these uh, fiat-backed uh, stable coins that follow the Hong Kong way, right? But obviously, there's a single point of failure. That's the entity that's holding the pool. Right. And that pool basically is subject to all the regulatory uh, requirement, all the AML KYC requirement. Um, and if you don't, I mean, you will be targeted for like US regulatory scrutiny. It's like Tether currently facing, right? So basically, I mean, that's what uh, we are referring to. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, there's basically, if you try to pack uh, using a centralized entity, you will be facing all these potential issues. Right. For example, like all the compliant, like uh, stablecoin, like PAX, GUSD. There's ways for the issuer to lock your account, like freeze your coins uh, without, uh, I mean, if they suspect any uh, behavior that uh, could cause any issues. And so we've talked about Tether, we talked about fiat. Now you also say eliminate capacity limitation and oracle risk in crypto-backed stablecoins. I have a feeling this is in reference to DAI. Yeah, exactly. Basically, like uh, we discussed earlier, uh, one of the uh, problem like uh, DAI and other DeFi applications facing was the uh, the centralized Oracle and the Oracle failures. Uh, the other problem uh, is the uh, capacity limitation. So for example, uh, DAI has, right now they're using uh, Ethereum as a collateral, uh, although they are looking for more collateralized assets. Mm -hmm. But one of the things, uh, they have to really over collateralize because uh, the underlying asset is too volatile. So let's say Ethereum, right now DAI can only issue around like one third of uh, worth of DAI for each Ethereum you collateralize. So basically that creates a, when the system grows bigger and bigger, it actually creates a liquidity problem for the underlying asset. So 
like when the underlying collateral assets become a big percentage of the overall circulating Ethereum, for example, when things get liquidated, they will cause like great problems, uh, like uh, collapsing the the Ethereum price as well. Mm-hmm. So that's basically is a is a capacity problem uh, Dai is currently facing. I think basically Dai Foundation has set themselves a limit that they cannot exceed 100 million right. uh, on top of directly on top of Ethereum. Yeah. Yeah, I think I can simplify it that it still has a black swan kind of capacity. So, you know, Dai with Ethereum, Ethereum can still be susceptible to a black swan. And if it is, then it takes down Dai and then there's a systemic risk. Um, so I agree. Um, and so the other thing that, you know, we kind of, we didn't touch on, but we were getting around in terms of the consensus models with, you know, proof of work and proof of stake that you were using, we didn't talk about governance. So if you can give us a little bit of sense about that, because a lot of people care about that, you know, is there on-chain governance? What are the procedures that you're doing right now? Yeah. So basically the entry point uh, of the system is completely permissionless. Basically you start generating currency on the, on the proof of work side. By the way, the way we are treating the, uh, the impossible trinity problem is basically we give up the pegging. So basically instead of uh, pegging to any fiat currencies, we have a fixed production cost for the, for the, like the uh, coins. So basically that will create, uh, like an anchor for equilibrium that connects the physical world with the, uh, with the virtual world. Uh, so, so basically you start with mining and creating currencies. And uh, we have a separate token, we call it governance token. Basically, the governance token is the protector and the uh, record keeper of the system. So we mentioned the proof of stake side is uh, maintaining the records. So the staking token is mainly the governance token. And in order to obtain the governance token, basically the way we do this is uh, we have a daily on-chain Dutch auction. You have to like use your currency token to exchange for the governance token. The proceeds for the, um, for, from the auction, uh, a portion of them will go to the uh, validators, the proof of stake validators, as a reward for them to basically maintain the ledger. And another portion will be just simply burned. So basically, this, basically all the governance token holder essentially starting from the, gov- uh, from the currency side in a permissionless way. And basically, in order to basically for the future maintenance, governance, and upgrades of the system, basically it's like each governance token have one vote, and we will basically do on-chain votings for future upgrades, uh, like tuning parameters, uh, like those type of uh, uh, governance activities. Right. So we've heard a lot about this notion of a stable coin, obviously because of Libra now. Everyone has talked about it with 2 billion daily active users. We've seen stable coins in the market. We alluded to, obviously, with Tether and with DAI and with some other iterations, Basis. We didn't mention Basis. Um, and so what do you think the use cases of of your project and the, the token that you've created, what do you think the eventual use cases are going to be? So basically, I mean, we're really focused on basically building the uh, decentralized uh, like financial system instead of, because basically if you're completely based on fiat, there's something already there that's pretty good. That's the existing financial system. 
only the unregulated stuff uh, i mean is more attractive if you like i mean in terms of like if finding use cases for like uh, cryptocurrencies so or like speculations um so basically what we're trying to foster is like uh, the um value exchanges and uh, among the uh, virtualized societies basically still like like the regular crypto users but uh, basically they can have a unit of account uh, like uh, internally uh, within the crypto world instead of relying on some value anchors uh, to the fiat mm-hmm. so basically where the first application we actually build is actually a bridge to the bitcoin side basically uh, what we will allow is uh, because at the consensus layer we know the exchange rate between bitcoin and meter so let's say if uh, you're a bitcoin miner you mine some bitcoins um what you can do is you stake your bitcoin on your like a uh, bitcoin chain and then based on the current uh, exchange rate let's say one bitcoin equal to 10000 meter so what we can do is uh, we can issue you 5000 meter plus a redemption coupon and you can use the 5000 meter to for example pay for your electricity bill or like buy a lambo or whatever and then when you want your bitcoin back you just bring a little bit more meter plus at the redemption coupon you can claim your bitcoin back so basically this is more like a, a bitcoin based uh, a defi application uh targeting for the uh, existing bitcoin miners mm-hmm. and hodlers to create uh, some liquidity for them without right. the counterpart risk because right now they are typically goes to uh like third party to collateralize their bitcoin to get some liquidity but uh, who knows what's going to happen with their bitcoin the third party there's a, a lot of them got burned i mean like a lot of bitcoin holders got burned by the third party lenders mm-hmm. so a lot of the defi narrative has been around projects like compound and dharma and blockfi where you can create cdps you can create these collateralized kind of debt uh processes um where you can lend ethereum and you can get dai etc cetera, etc cetera. is that something that's in the works in the roadmap for you guys too Uh yeah so for example if you think about uh, what we're doing essentially we're a bitcoin based uh, like uh, dai without uh uh I mean what we can generate is a bitcoin based uh, dai without the consensus well I mean sorry without the oracle mm-hmm. everything is done trustlessly through consensus um so that's one of the application um like similar to to maker right. um Yeah and then like people can build more things uh similar to other type of like uh defi applications out there and within this uh system what was the benefit of a stable unit of account and uh like speed where do you see a majority of the use cases for stable coins right now it's been it's been suggested that over the last few weeks especially with the bitcoin volatility that a lot of the tether that's being used is in china Where do you see that? Where do you see a stablecoin or like a tether being used majoritively right now in the world? So, majority of the tether I believe are used by unregulated exchanges as the unit of account representing US dollar. So, that's basically I would say 90% of the use case. And also mm-hmm. there's uh, like some use cases for example, uh 
getting over the uh, like uh, government currency restrictions like China. So uh, basically, I mean, we're not trying to address the uh, the exchange uh, U.S. U.S. dollar representative uh, issue. So we're more like uh, basically focus on like cross border payments. Uh, like for example, have a reliable money for uh, developing countries who have uh, monetary policy uh, undisciplined monetary policy issues, things right. like that. Yeah. Okay. So the last part of our show that we always ask guests is we like to get to know them a little bit more on a personal level. So there are two things that we typically ask is we like to know what our guests are reading. And it doesn't just have to be crypto related. It can be anything for fun as well, too, or anything that really taught you something. And also in terms of music, would love to hear if you like music, what type of music that you listen to while you're working or while you're traveling, what music kind of inspires you and really gets you going? Actually, to be honest, I mean, I do not listen to music while I'm working or traveling. Hmm. Um, I'm a little bit boring on that end. Okay. Say. Yeah. That's okay. And, and, and have you read anything recently that's resonated with you? Um Actually, we I spent more time like reading like uh, research papers, um, for example, um, like uh, consensus algorithms, um, mm-hmm. like uh, economics, uh, things like that. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Very serious. Very serious. Very serious person. Um, and so let. Um, Lastly, the other thing that we always ask guests is that if there's a way for people to learn more about the project and about getting involved, you know, feel free to let them know. Yeah. So basically, our website is meter.io. So you could join our like discussion group uh, on Telegram or Discord. It's also meter underscore io, or follow us on Twitter, meter underscore io. Yeah. That's great. So this was Johan Zhu uh, from meter.io. Very distinguished career at Microsoft, at Sony, lots of other places. And so they're obviously trying to create a a system and a token that can be used for many different purposes. And so definitely check them out. And we'll hopefully have you back on again in a few months to check in on the progress. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on base layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.